This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I'm starting a a new message series today called Love Illuminated, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, kind of what to do, and I actually had a different plan in place. I thought, well, with February, maybe we should talk a little bit more about relationships and blah, 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 blah. And then I thought, you know what? I want to talk about, since this month is dedicated to love, supposedly, I want to talk about the love of God. And I'm going to focus in my entire uh, month and potentially even into March, this entire message on the book of 1 John. So if you've got a Bible and you've got, or a Bible app at home on your, on your smartphone, I want to encourage you guys to read a chapter a week, starting this week with 1 John chapter 1. And we're literally going to be covering kind of each week, each chapter, not necessarily completely or in fullness, but we're going to be tracking along this book of 1 John. And I honestly believe, as we have been praying and as I've been just listening and trusting what God's doing, that His desire over this next month is for Jesus to illuminate His love for you in such a profound way that every hurt, every hang-up, every uh, thought that is living in regret or, or rejection, um, every addiction would be healed, would be set free and be made whole in this month. Because when you encounter the love of Christ your life will never be the same. I want you to have the courage this month to do away with every thought that is, uh, that's been maybe fed to you or has made, maybe convinced of you either by your own experiences or by the experiences of others. That number one, that God doesn't love you, it's an absolute lie. That God isn't big enough to help you or caring enough to actually be in, want to be involved in your life, he is all of those things. I want you to trust and believe today that the love of God can transform your life, your heart, your mind, and your situation. But you have to understand, God's heart is never to purify a situation, it's to purify you. When the love of God hits your heart, everything else changes. Sometimes circumstances take a little while to change, but everything changes. So trust the love of God this morning. Just before I jump into the message, I also want to say a very, very special welcome. I see you guys at the back. A very special welcome for her first time ever at Impact Church, little Evelyn McInnes, who's in church. You know, she had a conversation with me earlier this week and says, I want your mic, I want to preach. I'm like, okay. That's what you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give you the mic. Um, It's awesome to have you guys here. Uh, Father, I just pray your blessing over Jacob and Maddie. I pray, Lord God, that this would be the most incredible year of love of their life. Lord, that as they see little Evelyn, they'll see the face of Jesus. God, that that little face will absolutely mesmerize them with the love of God. Father, I thank you for them. I pray just your blessing over Evelyn and over them. Lord, that this would be just an incredible year of celebrating you and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a couple of questions just to start off this morning. If I were to ask you this morning to write like Shakespeare, could you do it? As soon as I said Shakespeare, you went, oh, grade 10 English. Oh, 
I hated that class. <laughs> How many were grateful for Cole's notes? Amen. Can I get an amen in the house? All right. Thank you, Jesus. How many of us even read the books? How many read Cole's notes? Come on. I felt it right there. All right. At least we're honest. All right, Mike and I, we're honest. We're good. All right, good. If I were to ask you this morning to sing like Josh Groban, could you do it? You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. Right? I'm telling you, I just feel like I've missed my calling in life. I'll tell you, these people who say I should preach, I should sing. If I were to ask you this morning to paint like Leonardo da Vinci, could you do it? If I were to actually have a, a mural up front, and I would ask anyone in this place not named Ray to come up and try to paint, Could you do something that even remotely looked decent? And I know for myself, I can't even draw stick men. So I know exactly how that would go for me. But how many know that it is impossible to do any of those three things without the God-given miraculous talent that he would have given you? I can't do that. But this is literally what John is inviting each and every one of us to do in his book of 1 John. He's inviting us to do the impossible, to live like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. That's what the whole book's about. The whole book is to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. How many have ever heard that phrase in our vision and you go, well, that's a cool line, that's so awesome. How do you do that? One step at a time. When love is illuminated in our lives, we can be light. We can be love and we can be life to those that God puts in our path. But we're going to go on a journey over the next couple of weeks and we're going to figure out from the book of 1 John how to do that. What are the keys? What are the things hidden within this incredible book that highlights some of these things? I don't know about you, but this book is saturated with this desire to live a life of love and light. And that's my heart for each and every one of you over these next couple of weeks. Amen? All right. I want to start with um, a verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, and then I'm going to back up to the first chapter. I'm just using this as a kind of a stepping off point. And it says this in the Good News Translation. If we say that we remain in union with God, we should live just as Jesus did. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure, just wake up in the morning and just, you know, wear Birkenstocks, a lawn robe, grow a beard, and just talk like Jesus, and then everything's perfect, right? I think I would rather do that than grow a big beard, wear skinny jeans with holes in it, and act cool, because it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's never going to happen. I have tried skinny jeans once at Old Navy, and, and the problem was is in the attempt to get them up past my knee, I fell over into the chair beside me. And the lady at Old Navy is knocking on the door going, excuse me, sir, are you okay? I went, yes, a little embarrassed, but I'm okay. What happened? Skinny jeans. So I just want to let you know, I'm not one of those guys that has to fit in. You will never see me wear skinny jeans because God didn't make me. To fit into skinny jeans. <laughs> Ever. 
And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I, I, I am like, I am the epitome of uncool. And I'm cool with that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't show them that picture, honey. Okay, all right, moving right along. But the foundation for the entire book of 1 John, and in particular the first chapter of 1 John, actually starts in his original gospel in John chapter 15. And I'm going to read a couple of verses to you this morning. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. In the New King James Version, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. There's a couple of key words here in this verse that really has struck a chord in me. It's this word remain and the word abide. And I think if you look at it from a perspective of any relationship in your life, the strength and success of any relationship comes when you remain and you abide. Right? And it's the same with Christ. I want you to understand that John was no perfect figure. If you read some of the stories in the Bible, you realize this is a guy that, that grew a lot, that matured a lot. He didn't have some very good moments earlier on in, in Jesus' ministry days. As a matter of fact, one of the times he was actually called along with his brother, he was called a son of thunder. We don't really know why, but we can guess that it probably had to do with something along the lines of anger management issues. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we've seen some of that. But what Jesus' love was illuminated in his life on a daily basis, that anger turned into passion for God. And he was known as John the Beloved. He was known as the closest disciple to Jesus. He was known for his passionate love, not only for Jesus, but for prayer and for Scripture. He was also the only disciple that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. He was the only one. He was also the one that was entrusted with the care of his mother. What a privileged responsibility. But what many of us may not know is he was also a church planter. So I like him. Because I'm a church planter. So I don't know. I like John. He planted a number of churches, but the ones that we know of for sure were Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira. And in that moment and in that ministry, he actually fathered or mentored a man by the name of Polycarp. And if you know anything about church history, New Testament church history, you'll know that Polycarp played a massive role in some of the defining theological statements of the early church. And even though he was not necessarily talked about in Scripture, we understand the significance from historical books of his life. And at the end of Polycarp's life, he was actually asked if he can make a statement of his own life goals and his life call, um, basically just to display it to the church. And this is what he literally said. He says, my heart, my statement for life is to be true to the life of Jesus and imitate that life. What a great example for us. For us, we would often say it's to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. Simple. But yet, that's the heart of God for our lives. One of the things that is talked about in historical books is that Polycarp had many different kind of roles and functions as an apostolic father. But one of the major roles that he had was correcting false teaching. 
there was a number of false teachers that were around in this day, and the primary, primary kind of way that they, they kind of landed was in the realm of Gnosticism. And so I want to just mention a couple of brief statements uh, uh, that Gnost, uh, those that are Gnostics uh, would believe. And so I'm going to have them on the screen behind me. But the first one is this. They believe that knowing truth replaced living the truth. Knowing truth replaced living the truth. Doesn't that sound like a Pharisee? <laughs> right? The second one was scriptures could only be known by qualified intellectuals. Well, that's the same philosophy the Catholic Church has had. I don't think it's working. Just saying. Just observation. The third one is this. God was not the creator of the world because the material world is evil. Therefore, there must be another force at work. This is what they believed. And lastly, Christ was not God because as deity cannot be united with the material world and the material world is evil. So what they were doing was dividing the church and they were pulling people away, actively enticing them to follow their doctrine. So 1 John was a book to go against Gnosticism and to prove not only the deity of Christ, but the love of Christ. And so this was a small book, a short book that was literally given to the churches to understand from a first-hand witness what Jesus meant. Okay? John literally is showing them who Christ really is, who they can be in Christ, what makes believing in truth a necessity for living and loving like Jesus. This is what he was doing. In other words, he was showing them literally how to live a love-illuminated life. That was the plan and purpose of this book. All right, so let's jump in. 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, going down to verse 4. And you can follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So the word, there's two words I want to just mention very briefly, just to give context to what he's saying. The first word is the word testify. And when you actually look it up in the Greek, it literally indicates the authority of experience. Not a secondhand story or secondhand revelation, but it actually speaks of firsthand eyewitness account of what, that, uh, what, of what Jesus did and what he accomplished. Okay? This is a witness who's personally experienced by their presence the account that they are now about to say. He further explains, just to give proof to this, he further explains in chapter 5 of 1 John exactly what this testimony or what this account is. And he says this, starting in verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I don't necessarily recommend using that verse as a witnessing tool, but... But it makes its point. There's a line that's been drawn in the sand. The blessing of relationship with Christ is awesome, but you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You can't just sit there, wallow back and forth one way or the other. You can't sit on the fence. You have to make a choice. Either he is the Son of God that can give eternal life, or he is not. The second word I want to mention in that 
passage is the word proclaim. It literally indicates the authority or commission to share. It means to make known openly or to declare. So John literally is proclaiming the word of life. He's proclaiming eternal life, and he's proclaiming love illuminated in Jesus Christ. That's the goal that he is trying to get across. But the proclamation here was not an end in and of itself. I want to read verse 3 again. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So its purpose immediately and ultimately is fellowship with God and fellowship with God's kids. I grew up in church, so when you're young, you hear things, but you don't totally understand it. So you have these really weird thoughts that aren't very scriptural, but as a child, as a six, seven, eight-year-old, you actually believe it. So I was convinced that fellowship is never fellowship unless there's chips involved because someone told me it was fellow chips. And for four or five years, I was convinced that there's no true fellowship of God without sour cream and onion chips. Can I get an amen? Oh, Yore! I haven't touched them since December 31st. But I have walked down aisle six. And I stand and I stare. And I have overcome, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's like one little bag of chips sitting on my left saying, go ahead, Sandra doesn't know. (laughs) And then there's another little bag of chips that says something really ungodly. Stay away. It's not good for you. I hate when God's voice sounds like Sandra's, don't you? I just, it's incredible (laughs) how that keeps happening. It's crazy. But I literally believed that fellowship literally was fellow chips. So any small group that we've ever run has to have chips at it because it's not true fellowship if it's not with fellow chips. You know what I'm saying? And then I grew up. (laughs) And then I realized what it actually means. And it literally means this. It's a relationship involving close, mutual involvement. It is a participation with one another which involves shared perspective, shared activity, and shared mission. A couple verses later, John goes on to give clarity to this whole concept of fellowship. Verse 6 and 7, it says this, If we claim to have fellowship with God, with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What a paradigm shift. (laughs) I've heard for years, you know, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. If I could have Jesus without the church, then I'd be good. And my response is, Church is practice for how we're going to behave in heaven because all the people you don't like are still going to be there. Just saying. I like how Sandra puts it. You know, there isn't a charismatic room and a Baptist room and a Pentecostal room and a Methodist room and a Wesleyan room and a Salvation Army room and a, you know, and a non-denominational room. Oh, we're cool. We're non-denominational. Wow. 
There isn't those rooms in heaven. So what God is connecting here is he's connecting this thought that fellowship with God and fellowship with each other are inseparable when you are walking in the light. It is impossible to separate the two. So, but does that mean that I'm supposed to be those people's best friend? Nope. But do you need to pray for them? Yep. Fellowship is huge. Fellowship with God is that active participation with the grace of God. It is active participation in the life that we have in Christ. That's what fellowship with God is all about. But fellowship with each other, with God's kids, is active participation in authentic community. And I want to say here, this word authentic is really something that I personally love. It's a word that we've talked about for ten and a half years. I was just realizing this as we were sitting here, that on the 7th this week is exactly ten and a half years that we've been here as a church. And that's, it's just a cool thought anyway. Ten and a half years. But here's what I've realized. Authentic community means that we have to actively participate in fellowship. Because if not, then what we're doing is experiencing one portion of fellowship and leaving the other one out. Now, can it take different forms? Absolutely. Is it stuck to one method? Of course not. Is a small group the only way? Of course not. But is it a way to facilitate it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You're welcome, Pastor Ray, for the plug. All right, moving right along. But I, have, I want you to see today that when we are living a love and a life that is illuminating the love of Jesus, it involves both fellowship with God and fellowship with God's kids. I love Genesis chapter 1. It says we're going to make them in our image. It uses the plural arts talking about the Trinity, and it's the concept of there's perfect unity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this pure, spotless bride, the church that he's coming back for, he wants to see a unified church. We had uh, one of the greatest privileges that we've had in the last year and a half of doing the internship is once a month we do something called a pastor's panel. And we literally bring in pastors from the city or some pastors that we know outside of the city. And the interns pick the theme and they actually create the questions for Uh, this panel. And so this past week, we had a theme on unity. And it was probably, in the last year and a half, probably one of the most significant, if not the most significant, pastor's panels we've ever had. We found out some things this week about what God is doing through some of these other churches and some of the ways that God is using them to bring reconciliation between churches that have not liked each other. And I'm tearing up the whole morning. And I'm going... If you told me 11 years ago that I would have heard this today, I I would have told you I wouldn't believe it. God is moving in the churches in this city. You have to know. There's such a significant shift in the churches and in the pastors in this city that you guys get to be the beneficiaries of it. But you know what it takes? All of us living in fellowship with God and with one another. Light in love with God Light in love with one another. So, but it's, it's much easier with God. Trust me, I know. I've been there myself. There was one moment in my life where I literally, you know, pointed a finger up at God and said, I am never stepping foot in church ever again. 
that didn't last very long. It lasted three days. And then I was at church, and God um, had a guest speaker there, and he talked about the power and importance of the church. And I went, I said, That is not what I wanted to hear. And here's what I've realized. I cannot say I love God and I don't love his kids. It's like somebody marrying uh, a single parent and saying, I love you, but I don't love your child. It doesn't work. You get the whole package. You know what I love about God? is he's given us a love in our hearts because we walk with Jesus for those people that are hard to love. But it's the thing that God is doing in our lives and in our hearts. John 13, 34 says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Fellowship has to happen from a pure heart. How do I know? Because sin always taints your motives. <laughs> it just does. It acts as a filter system in how you judge and determine what someone's motive is towards you and what your motive is towards them. Sin will act as a filter in order to interpret their heart. It doesn't work. Fellowship has to happen from a pure heart. Fellowship must happen in closeness, not from a distance. One of the things that this world has created is a connection without face-to-face means. And I'm glad with technology that we've created some of those things as well, which is awesome. But too much of our fellowship is not face-to-face. And yet that's what God's heart is. Who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder? John. Who was at the transfiguration of Jesus? John. Who was at the foot of the cross with Jesus? John. Who took care of his mother? John. Closeness takes risk, but the reward is awesome. One of the things I've realized in my life is distance is easy, closeness takes risk, but it's worth it. Fellowship must happen in an active partnership, not just with a pure motive, okay, not just in closeness, but it has to happen in an active partnership. He serves us, we serve him, we serve each other, they serve us, it's awesome, it's synergy, it's a, it's a beneficial uh, relationship. So the Greek word for fellowship, going one step further, literally means this. Sharing, unity, community, partnership, participation, communion. Wycliffe Bible Dictionary defines it like this. Companionship, partnership, and communion with others on the basis of something held in common. What is it that we hold in common? Jesus, who is light and life personified. Koinonia is a unity brought about by the Holy Spirit and connects us with the rest of the Christian family. One of the things that we made a decision to do right from day one, and we literally said this on the first service, we rarely ever will refer to impact as a church. We always call it family. Because that's always been my heart for this house. When we started dreaming about a church, two years before we even moved to Kingston, We kept talking about, I want it to be an authentic community. It's got to be a family. It's got to be a family. It's got to be a family. Because if it's not a family, people won't be safe to get healed. If it's not a family, then they're going to always question where people are coming from and what they want from you. It's got to be authentic. It has to be a family. Why? Because it is the heartbeat of Jesus for his church. 
that the church would be so in love and so supportive and so amazing with each other that John 17 literally says the world will notice because of our love for one another. I want to be a church that the world notices. Not because we have awesome worship, although we do. Not because we have a great-looking logo. Not because we've got a good website. Not because, you know, the speaker is a little weird with dad jokes. But not because we have good speakers. None of that. I want to be known because of the love of God that is in this place. That when people come here, they know that they can journey with God and feel safe. Do you see that? Is that a church you guys want to see? Because it is for me. I don't know about you, but we live in a day and age where a lot of people are hurt, and I don't blame them. I have to say, I, I don't blame them. There's a lot of things that have happened in relationships that have been hurtful, that have been abusive, and we, and we could keep going down the list of all these different words. But the church needs to be a place. As Psalm 66, I believe it's verse 8, says that he sets the solitary in families. He's setting the solitary in family. But you know what I've realized? Family doesn't just happen. (laughs) It doesn't. Communion with God needs to lead to communion with each other. And that communion with each other needs to lead to moments of authenticity that produce real-life change, real-life hope. And when that happens, people will be drawn. And the cool thing is, is our story for 10 and a half years has been, that has been the calling card. That has been the draw of this house, is that this is a loving family. So I love the fact that we're there. But how many know we've got another level? we got another level. Amen? Amen. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for fellowship, koinonia, is also the same Greek word that we use for communion. <laughs> love that. 1 John 1, 7, again, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What a perfect segue into communion this morning. A couple of core thoughts. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light of God's love, we will have fellowship with one another. The result is that the blood of Jesus purifies, cleanses us from every sin. This is the equation for healthy, authentic fellowship. That's God's heart for us this morning. Do you believe that? I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've often lived in and believed in is this idea um, that John had a different opinion or a different understanding of Jesus because he was the only one that saw the eyes of love on that cross. He was the only disciple who saw the eyes of love on that cross. They had saw the eyes of love in different ways before that, all the other disciples. But there was a next level of love in his eyes when he could yell out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was a different level of love. I honestly believe that John wrote this book to the church, us, so that we could have faith for the next level of love. Because this is what he's calling us to as a church. Amen?
Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.